Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Real Forno Show. As you can see up top, he is now gone, but his name is Dave, and he is the producer of this show. And I am Tyler, and we are having a little bit of fun in the tropics. Nice little ugly sweater here. Match my gator up top. Look, we had a wild and crazy Saturday, and it started off uber depressing, and it became exuberant joy. We're going to talk all about it. We're going to talk the first half who was at fault, why it happened, and the second half, and why John Candy makes a difference and why how that relates to that game. Plus, we're going to give a preview of the first ever winter whiteout at U.S. Bank Stadium, and we're going to send you off with a nice holiday greeting. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack Run and Shooter. Host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. As well as a member of Climbing the Pocket. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. To a joyous occasion, the Vikings are 11-3 and own the NFC North. You can take that Ryan Poles and enjoy it for dinner. You did not come here to take over the North. Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi Dofomensa did. My name is Tyler Fornis, and as I mentioned earlier, producer Dave, top corner. Dave, we are six days away from Christmas. Hanukkah has already begun. It is a joyous holiday season here for your Minnesota Vikings. How are you feeling today? I feel great. I had a nice, relaxing Sunday to recover from Saturday. Uh, It's just absolutely wonderful. That was the best comeback victory I had ever seen. And obviously, it was the greatest comeback victory in the history of the National Football League. Yeah. Um, hey, I want to address this. Raymond poses a great question. Why do people keep saying the NFL is rigged? He's so lost. Well, one of the reasons people say the NFL is rigged is because this season has felt like any other in NFL history. Now, the goal of the NFL since the salary cap era began in the early 90s was to so level the playing field so that every team goes 8-8. Eight and eight. The difference between every team going 8-8 eight and eight and what we actually see are how skilled the coaching staffs are, the front offices are of bringing in players and player development, and then how they play in the field. Those are the four real elements that separate the good teams from the bad teams. The problem is this year, we have seen way more officiating issues than I've ever thought in years past. And And not just in Vikings games. No, it's not just in Vikings games. You see it all across the league. You saw it last night. In the Commanders-Giants game, it was blaring it in that last drive. You pair all those things together, and just the there's more and more parity each year. Like the Houston Texans were within 10 points of the Cowboys and the Chiefs in back-to-back weeks. Like There are no true cupcake games anymore. The Cowboys just lost to the Jaguars. Like, in the Jaguars have been a bottom feeder for years. Like, you were seeing just more and more parity. And it's one of the reasons why the Colts were as good as they were against the Vikings. The Colts are not a great football team. They aren't bad. They have talent. And when they're able to put it together, they're able to string together a game like yesterday. The problem was, in the first half, the Colts didn't even play great. The Vikings played so poorly, the Colts looked like a juggernaut. Because the Vikings handed them I don't know if I'd say that, but yes. It was all that good field position. When you score 33 points on another team, like it's, they weren't great in doing so, but 
great teams figure out a way to do those things, which is why I kind of drew that comparison. Now, let's talk about that first half. The first half was, and we're going to get to all the good stuff, don't worry, but let's let's go in chronological order. We're going to talk about the first half. We're going to talk about the second half. Then we're going to do a little quick preview of the winter whiteout. Um, for those of you who missed it, ugly sweater, nice little uh, crocodile or gator, as you can see, with a nice Santa hat on. Just a little extra fun considering it's the holiday season. Look, the first half was absolutely beyond atrocious. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Kevin O'Connell tried twice on fourth down to try and create something. Sorry, it wasn't twice. It was three times. Two times he went for it and failed, and one time was a fake punt, which was very well drawn up, and it should have worked. But the pass was about, I don't know, six inches too high. Jalen Naylor just could not bring it down. He tried to jumpstart the offense with those things. It didn't work. But, hey, we got to talk about this. The defense was 0% at fault for for Saturday's game. They were not at fault at all. They were quality. They held up when they needed to. They allowed, Dave, there were six possessions where the Colts scored points. The Vikings forced five field goals on those right, six possessions. Right, but that's still five points. possessions too many. Fair, but look at some of the positions they were put in. That, to me, is is the biggest issue. Like, you're talking multiple fields. In Like, the starting position after, like, the fourth possession was the Vikings 40. Like, that that's the kind of thing we're talking about here, Dave. We aren't talking about a defense that allowed them to drive 60 yards and then get a field goal. Let's let's talk about these possessions. I have ESPN pulled up. First drive, after that kick return, 11 plays, 44 yards. The touchdown drive, that one was a normal drive. They deserve crap for it. Seven for 66. The field second field goal, six plays, 21 yards. Four plays, zero yards on a field goal. Zero, uh, nine plays, 65 yards on a field goal towards the end of the half. Four plays, 14 yards on a punt. Six plays, 26 yards on a field goal. And then three and out, four and out, three and out. Fumble. Turnover on downs. End of half. Like, they played well when they needed to. They gave up two substantial drives. Just two. And I think they deserve credit for it. There, I have not been able to watch the All-22 film, so I can't speak 100% certainty on some of these things. But from what I saw live game, they tried different things. Early on, they did not do a lot of man. They they did it more later. Yeah, and Duke no, Shelley, in the first half, they were sticking with their quarter-quarters halves. And that has gotten really, mm-hmm. really, really predictable. And that's one of the yep. faults of this defense. Now, you're talking about, well, they did well and they bent but didn't break. I'd be curious to look at their third down percentage to see how many third downs they tend to give up. Because it always looks like this defense does well on first down, does well on second down. And it may be third and eight, third and nine, and sure as shooting, the opposing offense gets the first down. And it's those things that drive us absolutely nuts in Batsoid. Now, whether it's the quarter-quarter halves thing, because you can defeat zone. Zone works, but zone also can be defeated. And if you stick with it and you're so predictable, it's easy for offensive coordinators to uh, game plan against. And it's going to be one of those things that's going to hurt the Vikings moving on unless they change like they did in the second half. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk about that, Dave. The Vikings are 13th in the NFL in convert, third down conversion percentage. That's pretty Offense good. Offensive defense. On defense? Defense. Okay. Defense. They, are, they have allowed 38.3% of their third downs. Now, the peak Mike Zimmer, this is about 7%, like 7 to 10% worse than what those defenses were doing. So that's relatively substantial. If you're talking, let's go with 10% difference just to make it even numbers. Right now, the Vikings have 183 third downs attempted against them this year through 14 games. You're talking about 18 extra third down conversions at that point. Dave, that's a lot. That is a significant number. Now, that defense that we're talking about broke an NFL record for third down conversions. That was a special, special unit. And we're not asking them to be that. 
middle of the pack is it's fine. You just being a percent better, seven tenths of a percent better gets them up to ninth. So you're not talking a massive disparity. That ninth place team, the Philadelphia Eagles, only has three less conversions allowed. Like we're in a good spot. The number one team is the Tennessee Titans, only allowing 59 of 187 to 31.6%. The worst is, is the Chicago Bears, 80 of four of 170. <laughs> They're one conversion away from 50%. So this is a good team. They are figuring it out on defense. Their red zone percentage, Dave, is now middle of the pack. It, then why does the drive is so crazy? It feels worse than it is because uh, I'm trying to think of how to put this. They're unable to sustain consecutive, like multiple drives in a row outside of the second half where they're able to get teams out of rhythm, get teams to punt it away quickly and force those, those quote unquote turnovers. It's the, it's the consecutive drives of hey touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown. Like it's when they're having sustained success like that, I don't think we're seeing it as much. So I think mentally, it feels worse than it is. And don't get me wrong, it's still not great. We're not talking about a, a really good defense. We're talking about a defense that's honestly middle of the pack as far as like the conversions. 13th and third down, 16th in red zone percentage. Now, this team was second to last in red zone percentage at one point. They are now 16th in red zone attempts. And... Teams have converted 24 touchdowns, which is 15th. Like, they're middle of the road. That's that's fine. I like seeing that. As a scoring defense, Dave, mm-hmm. the Minnesota Vikings are down to 28th, the 24.9. Now, obviously, the last two games really spiked it because they were, they were middle of the pack. They were like 17th in the league. So the last two games have really inflated this number. So I'm not super concerned about them now being 28th, considering I know that those two games really spiked it. But they do need to kind of turn things around and figure it out. They need a statement win. And this offense that they're playing against the New York Giants is a way to do it. I thought it was this week. And they played relatively well this week, Dave. But there were too many instances where the Vikings just continue to shoot themselves in the foot. They only allowed 341 yards. Six of 19 on third down were were the the Colts. They were trying. And they were starting to mix it up. They were playing man coverage. They were trying to blitz, and some of those blitzes were getting home. So they're working with things. And one thing you have to remember at the end of this game, the Vikings were playing Duke Shelley, Chandon Sullivan, and Chris Boyd as their three cornerbacks. That's not exactly ideal. And they were still able to get that stop and then get the game-winning field goal. So there are issues with this defense. We're not going to deny that. But I think this was their best performance of the season outside of week one. And the fact that they were able to put this performance in without getting a snap from Cameron Dancer, who dressed, he chose not to play. And we know he was dealing with an illness, so I'm not going to speculate on it. But that's kind of what we were dealing with. So I'm Mm -hmm. very intrigued to see what happens here moving forward with this unit. And – I think that this unit can be good. That's all they need to be. Good. Give me a top 20 defense. You give me a top 20 defense, this team could make a real run in the playoffs. That's all we're asking. Top well, 20. I, I'm not disagreeing. They mm-hmm. All right. Those numbers seem to have gotten better. And it sure looks that way, even though it drives us crazy and we're, we're too close in a lot of ways to it to invest it. Um. But a big chunk of why the team went down early was special teams play. Special teams at the beginning of the season started out absolutely fantastic, on fire. They were great in almost all four phases except for Greg Joseph. Greg Joseph has since improved. He hasn't missed a field goal in seven games. Uh, He missed uh, a couple extra points like five games ago, but that was it. He's become back to G money, but, and we know Mr. Wright can boom him, which leads to the one long kick at the end of the game, which the spot was just absolutely miserable. Um, But they're the ones that 
gave up the long kick returns and punt returns and that's and set up that good field position and I want to know what is what has changed and what is wrong with the special teams that they have switched you know from the best unit to the worst unit of the three Dave that's a great question I'm not 100% sure kind of what's changed I do know that um I I I don't want to say that the special teams unit is necessarily bad, but I will say that they're probably the most inconsistent. I think the frustrating thing is if they didn't freak out about Daniel Carlson's week two in the tie against the Packers, they'd have an all pro kicker on the, on the roster. Like <laughs> obviously different regime, but different now you're regime dealing with and Mike Zimmer couldn't stand yeah. kickers. Yeah. Mike Zimmer couldn't stand a lot of things. And that's part of the reason why he doesn't have a job anymore. Right. Um, couldn't stand the I think, either. I think one of the big things, Dave, is Matt Daniels is a, a brilliant young mind as, as a coach. He's figuring things out, and he's dealing with what he has. Now, I will say, the Vikings' long snapper got the most votes in the Pro Bowl. Chris Boyd got second most votes for special teamers. He's going to make the Pro Bowl as a, as a special teamer. And you also had Kene Wangwu, who got the most for kick returners. So they're doing something right. And I, I think that needs to be mentioned. Okay, Odie, you're coming up here because you're being a little turkey. There Say he hi is. To the people, Odie. Odie, the good boy. He's growing. He's 25 pounds now, Dave. 25 <laughs> pounds. He's a big chunk. Um, I'm not worried long term about special teams, Dave, but I understand the con- cause for concern. I understand why it feels that way. We kind of dealt with some of the same things in regards to Mike Prefer. Prefer stunk with kickers, but he was so good in coverage and blocking units that it almost made up for the fact that our kicker stunk. Marcus Sherrill's continued to have multiple punt return touchdowns a year, it felt like, and they were able to succeed with kick returners. Look at what he was able to do with Percy Harvin, with Cordero Patterson. Now, obviously, they're special talents, but at the same time, he was still able to get it out of them, and I think that's, like, we're used to that. That's not what Matt Daniels is great at. Matt Daniels is trying to get consistency out of all the units, and I think we're going to get there. But we have a rookie punter who's flashed some brilliance, but he's had a couple duds here and there. Um, The coverage units are not phenomenal, but they're not allowing the big one. They're allowing some decent ones. They aren't allowing the big one. And I think for me that's that's, that means more than necessarily being great is they're not being bad. I don't. I hope that kind of makes sense in my train of thought. I I, I prefer that they're not making mistakes. Um, but let's continue to talk about this uh, this first half, Dave, because during the first half, I wrote an article burying the team, and I was incredibly frustrated, just like everyone else. And I assigned blame for everybody who who deserved it, and. I want to share it with you because I'm actually going to pull it up because it's, it's very interesting who I assigned to blame to. And I want your thoughts, but I got to pull it up here real quick. I have one of your articles up, but it's not that one. (laughs) Which one do you have up? Eight players who were pivotal in the Vikings historic comeback win. Oh yeah, that that one came to me, and I, I thought that those were those were good picks. Um, mm-hmm. Here are the people I blamed for it, Dave. I gave ten percent to Kirk Cousins because um, Cousins at one point had shrunk into a corn cob and was play, go, went on full on conservative robot mode. I gave Dalvin Cook ten percent because even after he got that big play, he fumbled at another inopportune time. Now, it's never an opportune time to fumble, but he, he seems to make a habit of fumbling in bad times. Ed Donatel got 15%. Um, they said pregame that they were going to play more man coverage, and at that, when I wrote this, they barely played any. Um, Kevin O'Connell, 15% for not learning anything about the, the two embarrassing losses beforehand to the Eagles and to the Cowboys, and then not being able to figure it out and prevent another one from happening here. And then Mark and Ziggy Wolf, I gave 50% for running it back with a team that had consistently had dud games every single year. Like this core 
had continued to have dud games. And obviously you took out a major variable in the coaching staff, but you have the same players. And if you have the same players, there's a chance that that's going to continue to happen. And we saw it now. The difference between a Mike Zimmer team and a Kevin O'Connell team is what we saw in the second half. And let's kind of transition to the good because that's the holiday season and it's a 25 schools of Christmas and we don't want to be sad. All right. So let's transition. We outscored them in the second half in overtime, 39 to three. Now the difference between a Mike Zimmer team and a Kevin O'Connell team, you can look at directly the 2016 game against the Colts when we hosted them versus yesterday's game or Saturday's game against the Colts when we hosted them 27, nothing in 2016. 33 nothing in 2022. The Vikings lost 34 to 6 in 2016. They won 39 36 in 2022. Now the biggest difference here, they figured it out. And this is where that John Candy line came in that you were were mm-hmm. that you were asking me about because you weren't sure. If you remember, I think it was Super Bowl 22. 8 yard line. The 49ers get the ball back down 16 to 13. Joe Montana looks out in the stands before saying anything in the huddle. He's like, yes. "Hey, isn't that John Candy? And the entire the entire offense was like, okay, we're going to go win this game. Because they're like, it, that's why they called him Joe Cool. They called him Joe Cool, and he figured it out. And he was able to keep them calm and focused. And that took them to a Super Bowl. And obviously, uh, you know the rest. John Taylor catches that 12-yard slant route for a touchdown. Bingo, bango, bongo. But that moment happened in the locker room when we heard about it post-game. Kirk Cousins said he thought that Patrick Peterson was being sarcastic. Peterson's like, all we need is five touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll he was right. That is we little... just need five touchdowns. Easy. Yep. Yeah. And he was just so confident about it. Didn't panic. And then Kevin O'Connell was like, well, that's my perfect lead in. And then they ended up scoring five touchdowns, getting the two-point conversion on that in route to TJ Hawkinson. And there you go. History was made. Now, if you remember, Dave, you probably watched this game in real time. I have watched this game numerous other occasions throughout the history of my life because I am a massive Warren Moon buff. 1992 wild card, Houston Oilers, Buffalo Bills, 35-3 lead for the Oilers. Former Indianapolis Colts head coach Frank Reich led that team to a comeback victory. Now, I find that incredibly funny because he got fired by the Colts earlier this year, and Jeff Saturday became the tried to become the first coach with his namesake to win the day, to win on a Saturday, and he was unable to do it. But he was the first coach named Saturday to lose on a Saturday. You're damn right he was, Dave. And In record fashion. You know what? I think you need to give a lot of credit to Patrick Peterson for being the veteran, for being the one in the room to know, hey, I know we need to say this at this time. And I know that we need to take care of things, but I also know that we can not panic. You know what? He was right. The Now I also explored Dave this morning on Vikings wire. Was this the greatest Vikings game of all time? This was the 1000th game in Minnesota Vikings history. So I opined a little bit. I looked at multiple games. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If this is the best game, but I don't know that it's not. Well, th- so, there's different there's different ways to look at it because I've contemplated mm-hmm. the same question. Um, yeah. it is the biggest comeback in NFL history, no question, right? We'll be talking about people will be talking about this game like they did the Bills Oilers game, right? It'll be talked about for decades. And uh, it is what it is. But to have such a comeback game, you have to be bad at one point in time to be down as far as you were. Yes, it's great to turn around and win it, which they did. And I think Patrick Peterson and what he said is a key factor of that. There's also another key factor of that, and that's K.J. Osborne. But... Some people are calling it the greatest comeback game ever. It wasn't in the playoffs where that Buffalo Bills-Oilers game was. Yep. You know, and when we talk playoffs for impact, was the Minneapolis Miracle game bigger? Um, when it, But all that was was a defender missing the tackle. 
you can sit there and it's all on how you want to view it. You know, that Minneapolis miracle to me is obviously up there and, and how it made us feel. But yesterday or Saturday's game made us feel just like that as well. And it's just, I don't know. It, it's one of the top ones. It may not be the top, but it is one of the top ones. Uh, Purple Haze says you need to change the Purple Moon jersey with uh, Purple Moon jersey with a Colt QB jersey. Um, well, I don't think so. Warren Moon was absolutely awesome, and uh, you should give Declan grief for not getting that this last <laughs> week. It's uh, and so next time you're on, you go Declan and point to the back. Hey. I'll tell you what, Purple Haze, if somebody wants to pay to get a Matt Ryan Colts jersey framed back there, I'll hang it up. But I'll be honest, look, um, Warren Moon is my favorite player of all time. He is, in my opinion, a top 10 quarterback to have ever played professional football. I'm not taking it down unless I get something else to put it up. So if you want to start a collection, get people to make it happen, sure, I'll hang it up. Absolutely. Until then, it stays Warren Moon, and I don't think that'll change. Dave, let, let's go through some of these games because I think this is a really fun conversation to opine. Um, if you want to follow along with us, go to the Vikings Wire. Find the article that says, was the Colts' comeback win versus Colts the best game in team history? Now, I'm going to list off some games. Some of them are a, a little – they're all different in their own way. But I right. think because this, this is incredibly objective – uh, right, it, it's said, all in how you define best, and that's a personal mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and I think I think that's it. We're gonna get Odie back up, sitting up with me. Oh, sorry, buddy. Conk. Yeah, he conked his head pro- because he won't stop. Con- hit him he won't in- stop biting my feet. Concussion protocol for that. Sorry, bud. You're in concussion protocol. Okay. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Vikings versus Colts, nine twenty eight, nineteen sixty nine. Joe Capps set an NFL record with seven touchdown passes, 449 yards passing. That touchdown record still stands today. It's obviously been matched by other people, but really impressive for the time. Um, Brett Favre to Greg Lewis in 2009. Vikings were down 24-20, and then that play won the SP for best play of the year. Randy Moss. It was amazing that Greg Lewis landed in bounds because I thought there was no way – you know, he went up and caught it. You know, the throw was a Brett Favre missile. And uh, and he went up and caught it, and I got, no way. It's taking him out of bounds. This isn't good. And he came down both feet just before the out-of-bounds marker to back of the end zone, and it was just, oh, this. And that was the point where this season could be special. Yeah, I agree completely. I was actually in North Dakota hanging out with some friends at that game, and um, – I didn't get to watch it till I got home. And because social media wasn't as big and mobile phones didn't ha- have internet as easy access, I watched that on Spoiled. Let me tell you, I'm glad I did. That was incredible. Um, some other games I have on here, Randy Moss erupts on Monday Night Football as a rookie against the Green Bay Packers. Five receptions, 190, and two touchdowns. Um, the Miracle at the Met Thursday in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um. Adrian Peterson um, nearly breaks the rushing record and sends the Vikings to the playoffs in 2012. Um, the Moss Moon at Lambeau in the wildcard weekend <laughs> in 2005. Um, the Minneapolis Miracle, obviously. And then my personal favorite for the like the Vikings 17-point comeback this year, obviously, is in that conversation. Um, but my personal favorite game in Vikings history is the Vikings beat the Giants in the wildcard to save Dennis Green's job. In, two, in 1997, something, Dave, that we talked about this summer with Judd Zolgad, who is also a writer for the Vikings Wire and host Purple Daily, and Mackie and Judd for Score North, some of our very good friends. That is my personal favorite game for the best one of all time. 19-3 to down at halftime. They rally to down nine with a minute and a half left. They score a touchdown, get the onside kick and a field goal. They save Dennis Green's job. Because he was about to get fired, if you remember. Mm-hmm. He released that book, trashing Vikings ownership. They needed He needed a win. No Brad Johnson because he was out with a neck injury. Randall Cunningham comes in after a year off of football in 96, wins that football game. And to me, 
that is the gold standard of Vikings games because there was so much going wrong for him. You knew Dennis Green's playoff record was not good at that point. They ha- did not have their starting quarterback. They still figured out a way to win with a poor defense. And to me, that will always be the gold standard, but this comes very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren, yes, you posted Dallas scored 33 points in one quarter. The Vikings scored uh, the 36 in quarter and a half. And unlike Dallas, ours was all offensive scores, whereas Dallas, there were some defensive scores. Now, there should have been two defensive scores yesterday, but uh, the referees blew the whistle. And you know what drives me nuts most about that, Dave? This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. They, they were way too quick on the whistle. But it wasn't that they were too quick on the whistle. That happens. Nobody asked about it. They had time with them. And they didn't ask, why did you blow it so quick? Why didn't, why didn't you let it play out? Because you're supposed to let it play out. Now, I, I can kind of understand the um, the one with Michael Pittman Jr. where the uh, progress was stopped. I kind of get that, Dave, because you can't go back and review that. You can't review forward progress. You can't review it to change it to forward progress. So if you think you see it, you have to call it. But it was obvious he was still fighting, and it wasn't like he had been held up for like two seconds. It was like maybe a second after he was still fighting, lowering his shoulder and trying to push forward. And I that's when the ball was less time tri- than that. It's more like it might have been less time, but but it, they, no, they blew the no whistle too early, and they're supposed to let it go on, let the play go on, um, unless it's obvious. And it, yeah, no, the both of those should have been defensive touchdowns. Mm-hmm. What? No, it absolutely should have been. Um, and then the second one, where uh, Deion Jackson. Fumbled standing up in a pile, and they blew that whistle. Look, here, here's the way I look at it. You can't be mad at the officials for screwing us, okay? But you can be mad about the fact that neither one of those were called, and the Vikings put themselves in the situation where they had to come back. Like, you, the refs made awful calls that harmed the Vikings, but the Vikings harmed themselves. The Vikings would have lost this game by, like, two points, then maybe we can have that conversation where if you do one of those two things. But complaining about the refs is a futile exercise. But understanding that they made mistakes and saying, hey, you made big boy mistakes. That's like the players have been tweeting. They just want answers. They -hmm. want to know why they they felt like they were screwed. And Shannon Sullivan had both of them. Imagine scoring two touchdowns and getting them both taken away from you because the official – was a little too quick. Like, Mm -hmm. that's an incredible thing, and I feel bad for him. But you know what? I hope they fix it because nobody should have to deal with that again. And if they do fix it, Dave, that's an objectively good thing because officiating is bad across the league. You saw a bunch of it. We talked mentioned it earlier in the show. The commanders got screwed twice. Like, Mm -hmm. it it needs to improve, and it's – We've been saying that for years, but it just hasn't yet. And ball placement has been a problem. That's why I wish they would go to sensors in the balls. 
Um, that one punt at the end of the game by Mr. Wright, that sucker was downed inside of the one. And we go to commercial and come back, and the ball's placed on the two, and they've got room to kneel down. And I'm like, what? And it was obvious. You looked at the replay. It was it was downed at about the half-yard line. And yet, mm-hmm. they placed it at the two, which gave Matt Ryan room to mm-hmm. kneel down and send it in overtime. And it's just. Yeah. Um, let's let's go to a couple comments here, Dave, about the officiating. Um Aaron says Matt Ryan's sneak was stopped early and we benefited. I'd have to look at a replay, but on first glance, I like even with the replay, I kind of disagree with that. I actually think they stopped him at the right time. It was after the whistle where the players behind him basically lifted him up and pushed him across the line. So I think that one was well done. They're really usually really good about sneaks and waiting for the line to stop moving before they make that call. I I, I will um I do reserve the right to change my mind on that by looking at it a third time, but that's what I remember. Um, and then, Brian, the biggest issue is no consistency um, across the officiating crews. You're right. That's a major issue. There is a website. I'll, I'll pull, I think I have it in my bookmarks. Um, I have it in mine. Yeah. I almost left the show on accident. Oopsies. <laughs> um, it's called NFLPenalties.com. You showed this to me, I think, Dave. It tells you who has the most penalties. Um, it tells you by um, each referee's crew what they like to what they've called the most. Like it's it's a very nice tool to use. Um, I like using it, and Odie's almost in the picture on Two Puppy. Almost. Yeah, I know. Um, Aaron, I'm not going to lose the Gator hat. I am a massive Gator fan. You can see the swamp right above my head and my, um, my background on my computer monitors are the swamp. Like I, I am a Gator through and through, and I don't think that's going to change. I apologize. I hope we can still be friends, but, um, he also asked when to blow the whistle for forward progress. I don't know how the rule is written, but I think you have to be held up for a certain amount of time. And you like your effort being pushed forward is pretty much stopped. So if somebody's trying to push forward and their legs basically stop churning mm-hmm. and they're stood up, that's when they blow the whistle. I don't think that um, Pittman Jr. was either fully st- like stood up or stopped moving. And that's why the frustration was there on that call. Um, just look, the Vikings won and we – like we'll move on here because I think we're spending too much time talking about how bad the refs were, but they were. Oh, ah, but Mary's got a question right here. You saw this story come out today. Kevin O'Connell uh, Mary, think- is absolutely infuriated, and he sent a memo, a message, whatever you want to call it, to the NFL league or to the league, along with video on mm-hmm. how he feels. Justin Jefferson is being targeted in a malicious way, i.e. shots to the head, to try to take him out this season because he's doing so well. And we're seeing more and more of him, and that there isn't enough hitting a defenseless receiver calls on some of these. And uh, I, I agree with him. It does look that way. It looks very much mm-hmm. like 2009 Saints. Uh, and there should be, it should be something looked at. Yeah, I agree completely. I actually wrote that up here um, earlier uh, this afternoon for Vikings Wire, which, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't know, I'm the managing editor and I write almost all of the content on Vikings. But Wire, you got, excuse me, as I not. You also got Judd writing some, and you hired a third person. Yes, Matt Anderson from Vikings Happy Hour will be joining the team in the coming days. Um, we're, I'm very excited that we'll be have those three, and a fourth will be coming as well. So Woo. we're going to be a one-stop shop for all your written Vikings content coming from all angles. Film, scouting, columns, fans. Odie, if you bark, I'm going to kick you in the keister. Uh, we have a barking puppy. He's, bark, he's barking. 
he's barking at my wife's compute laptop, which is in a little slot on my desk. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, so what, what was I talking about? Oh, here's the quote specifically from Kevin O'Connell. Clearly there's an emphasis on the teams we're playing. Some of those hits, they don't just seem to be by accident at times. I think we've got to protect him a little bit better. Uh, great to get the flags, but he's too important to our league. Seems like a, like a weekly occurrence at this point. Now, this is something, Dave, that they used to have sh- like shows mm-hmm. like dedicated to the biggest hits of the week. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, back in the 70s and 80s, even the 90s for that matter. Uh, to be a considered a good safety, you had to, you know, knock somebody's head off. Uh, Kyle Alzado was great at it. I lived in New England as a kid in high school, and uh, uh, he hit. Uh, um, I was just on my head, Daryl Stingley, and uh, paralyzed. That was Jack Tatum, right? Or that was Jack Tatum, and he hit Daryl Stingley and paralyzed him because he broke his neck. In the process, that those were back in the days when hitting was king, and it didn't just happen, you know, defensive backs, it was everybody, you know, quarterbacks were fair game. They they didn't wear skirts, they could get beat up just like everybody else, and it was a much violent, more violent time. Helmets weren't as good, you could club somebody. Um, Jack Tatum is. Davey says was notorious for it. There's, there was different things you could do. Uh, they would build up casts and literally have like clubs and you stiff arm or uh, sling your arm. And there, there was all sorts of, you could head slap back in the seventies, different things. It was a more violent game, but they found out over time that does damage. And then when you add the fact that players have gotten bigger and stronger, you get physics playing into this, and when you have mass in motion, it doesn't matter. The more mass, the more force, and the injuries come quicker. Mm-hmm. And it's something that if they want the game to go on for a long time, they've got to get that out of it because, you know, it left people where they can't walk. Uh, Earl Campbell's a prime example of that. Aaron, you're right about Dick Buckus. Um, there's just, it was such an abusive deal and they're trying to limit that so it can last. They're trying to, you know, reduce concussions, hopefully eliminate them so it could go on and be safe for younger kids to learn to play and come up. It And that makes sense. Yes, we love the big hits, but it's not worth it in the long run. And when you're talking about one of the premier stars in the league, and we're not just talking the Vikings, but the entire NFL and Justin Jefferson, mm-hmm. Kevin O'Connell pointing this out to the league is prudent, and he should, because you don't want to take that out. Justin Jefferson is going to be a moneymaker for the league as a whole throughout his career, and they want to help protect that or should want to help protect that versus some defender who's target practicing to try to get him out of the game. Uh, it's it's bad sportsmanship if you're doing it on purpose in a lot of ways, and we don't want to see it. Yeah, I agree. I miss Steve Atwater. He is a top five favorite player of all time for me. For kind of the same reasons you talked about, he just wanted to murder people in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. But – as you grow older and as you start learning about this stuff and about how concussions have really impacted lives and CTE, they become like less wanted. Like I don't mm-hmm. want to see that anymore. You know what I want to see? I want to go back and see it because it happened bef- in the time before we understood all these things. And, and it's almost like I feel less guilty about watching it. Um, but I miss the way that Steve Atwater would play the game of football because he is, I'm so glad he was in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, But there's no place in today's game for it. There really isn't, Dave. Um, Not if we want to keep watching football for the next few decades. No, there isn't. No. No, not at all. Oh, excuse me. 
I've been drinking a beer and it's catching up to me. Um, let's <laughs> let's kind of talk about let's talk about those hits. The one specifically, Justin Jefferson runs like a little out route, jumps up in the air a little bit, catches the ball, and Stephon Gilmore cleans his clock. Oof. Yeah, but he the way he did it with uh, using his head. It didn't look like he led with his shoulder. It looked like he led with the head, and he led up into Justin Jefferson's head. And that is, he should have been ejected at that point because that's malicious. He could have gone down, tried to tackle, hit him hard in the arm, shoulder, rib, you know, torso type deal, but you don't try to take somebody's head off anymore. That's not the game anymore. And... uh it's just, and if they take Justin Jefferson out, they've robbed Minnesota Vikings fans of years yep. of joy, and that's that's wrong. It's just wrong. Mm-hmm. I would expect uh, Stephon Gilmore to get fined for that hit, and unfortunately, that hit also caused Jalen Rager to come into the game, and that's when he stopped on that deep crosser, and that was the interception. Rager messed up, and you Rager can tell like there's. Kirk's interceptions yesterday. Dave, we talked on the show. Uh, I'm wondering, I was curious why Rager wasn't getting more playing time, and we just got our answer. Um, I was like, obviously, we don't see practice, and that's a big thing, but we got our answer. He is. Well, it was, I think Phil Mackey put out a tweet. He did the research. Uh, Jalen Rager's caught like five out of 28 balls that have been thrown over 20 yards to him in his career so far. He's, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's got eyesight problems like Tory Williamson needs to go see an eye doctor or what it is or, but that, that one where he was running towards the, the corner and held up. That was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Cause we all saw it. We were yelling at the screen. Why'd you stop as the ball's in the air? That's just. It's crazy. Yeah, that's. Look, Rager messed up, and you could tell there's a, a still shot with, like within a second or two of um, the receiver or the safety celebrating that O'Connell had his headset off and was like, What are you doing? And you could. They showed Rager on the sideline. He was distraught about the fact that he screwed up. like, And you know what? They were able to figure it out. And the Jalen Rager experiment hasn't worked uh, any more than being a special teams guy. And you know what? That's okay. It was worth the shot. Um, maybe you could get something oh, yeah. more out of him, but I'm not going to expect anything moving forward. Look, that game was tremendous. We're going to be able to talk about that a lot this offseason. We're going to be able to talk about it in general over the course of the rest of our lives. But now... Dave, we have something special coming up on Christmas Eve. But hold and, on. Oh, you want to talk I about wanna, KJ? I want to talk about KJ. KJ, to me, he had his best game as a Viking. Okay? And it all started, for the most part, in the second half. And he didn't quit. He fought for every single yard. And he started that momentum change in the third quarter that helped spur on the entire team. I had mm-hmm. to give, and I didn't see any game balls given out. It was They were too busy celebrating. But by far, the spark that K.J. Osborne gave the team was undeniable because he would not quit. He refused to lose. And that I look forward to seeing more of as we go the rest of the season and into the playoffs. KJ Osborne by far to me was one of the players of the game on Saturday and deserves kudos for his play. I think he may have cemented himself into the wide receiver two spot. Um, With that, if he gets used more and can consistently do it, we'll have to see. I think he opens up some eyes on Saturday, and I like that. Look, I've been very critical <laughs> about K.J. Osborne in this space, um, but he 
he did a great job. Uh, I, I think there's, and I, he was one of those eight players um, that I thought were vital to come back because his effort did not waver no matter what the score was. He was trying to get those extra yards when the game was 30, 30 to nothing before that final field goal in the first half. He was trying. He was putting in the effort. And I, I gained a lot of respect for K.J. Osborne because of how he played and how consistent he was. That was tremendous to see, Dave. He deserves all the credit in the world. And you gotta love it. Um, mm-hmm. But let's move on. New York Giants come to town, eight, five, and one. They are currently the sixth seed in the playoffs. They are a game ahead of the Washington Commanders. Essentially, two games ahead because they have they are one zero and one against them, and they are a, a, like a game and a half ahead of the Seahawks, the Lions, and multiple other teams. Okay, they are going to come in here needing to win. If they win, they can secure a playoff spot in Week 17. But the Vikings need to win to secure the number two seed. Do we secure? So if we win? this is no, no, no. We no. need to win out to secure it, or no. two wins and one 49ers loss. So we are currently a game up on the 49ers, but our divi- our conference record, the Vikings have a worse conference record by two games. Um, I believe we are six and three within the conference and they are, or yeah, we're, we're six and three. They're eight and two. I want to say something like that. I I, look. I, yeah. Look at, look at the Niners. Like our three losses have come against the division or the conference. I know that, um, but they have a better conference record. And I believe that's the first tiebreaker when you don't have a head to head. So we need to win to keep the two seed. Um, the two seed would get us likely the commanders, the Seahawks, the Lions, or God forbid the Green Bay Packers. Um, <laughs> and yeah, imagine a Packers Vikings playoff game. Well, as long as we can uh, end Aaron Rodgers' career, I have no problem with that. Um, you are right. The Vikings have a six and three conference record. The San Francisco has an eight and two. So they're a game hey, and a half. What can I say? I'm good at something sometimes. Um, that means the Niners currently have one game left against the AFC, which I believe is this upcoming weekend, and the Vikings don't. They're done playing the AFC. They swept the AFC, a five and zero record against the AFC, but that does not help come time to uh for tiebreakers unfortunately because they go in conference record instead of out of conference record so the vikings would need the niners to lose one more game in conference and the vikings need to win out to make that one a tie um but at that point i don't think we're going to get to a point where the vikings can win the tiebreaker and still tie for the for the conference Mm -hmm. and get that two seed so the easiest way is the vikings just went out and i think they can do it they're playing the the giants who have a very good defense their offense is extremely beatable. Daniel Jones is like a mailman. Um, Not Carl Malone mailman. He is he's an average Joe. Yeah. Like if he walked in, walked into your mat eighth grade if he walked into your eighth grade math class, you'd think he was the teacher. Like he's he's the guy. Um, but they have some talent on that offense. They have arguably the only young left tackle better than Christian Derrissaw, and that's a real debate who's better, Andrew Thomas. Thomas mm-hmm. has been incredible so far this year. Um, you look at all these elements, and it's that defense. I wrote about it for USA Today because we do a collaboration piece each week. The one matchup I want to watch, Dave, Kayvon Thibodeau, the rookie pass rusher versus Christian Derrissaw. That is going to be the matchup, I think, that decides the game because – if Thibodeau ends up being a game wrecker like he has been in previous weeks, the Vikings are screwed. They are not going to win. Yeah, but because Derisaw? Thibodeau is incredible. Yep, and but this is probably the best pass rusher he'll face all year. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of weird to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Devin, but, but this the Vikings game's on having... Saturday. <laughs> yeah, and they do some do deliver on Sundays during the holiday season. So the more you know. 
Um, I know but, Amazon, before they had their own delivery guys, they used to pay the postal service to deliver on Sundays. And now they pay the postal service to deliver a week or two late. But uh, that's mm-hmm. frustration. But what's going to be good about this game, in the Vikings' favor, as everybody that lives up there knows, it's going to be cold this weekend. As in absolutely frigid, we're talking wind chills below 40. Most folks don't like that weather. Especially folks coming from out of town into the cities do not like that weather. And I'm hoping that the Giants get off the airplane, get a taste of it, go to their hotel, get a bigger taste of it on the way, and then say, to heck with this, let's get this over and go back home. And But we'll see. Uh, what do you think of the idea of the whiteout, that the, the team has asked everybody to wear white, and the team is going white on white on white on their uniforms, the only thing there's purple are the numbers, stripes, and the helmet. I love it and I hate it, and let me tell you why. I love the idea of the whiteout. I love the idea of having the crowd, like, band together. This is something that they've been doing at Penn State for eons, Mm -hmm. and it's great. Dave, it's phenomenal. But here's the issue I have. Why are we wearing white jerseys when the entire crowd is wearing white? We should be wearing the purple jerseys because now – it's going to be harder for Kirk Cousins to see people down the field. And I, th- I think we should have gone all purple in contrast to the whiteout. It's something that Penn State does. They mm-hmm. wear their navy blues. And I, I think it could be a mistake to wear all white with a full white backdrop. That's all I'm saying. I think hey, atmosphere is going to be awesome. You know, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I worry about that because those little things can make a really big difference. And if that ends up being the case, oh, Let me tell you, I'm going to take a victory lap. It's going to be a long one. It's going to be fun, and I'm going to hate the fact that we lost. But I think it's going to be a rocking atmosphere because when you get the crowd united behind something other than the team, it's awesome. It's it's a special atmosphere. College football does stuff like this all the time, and we're bringing that element to the pros. And when you can bring that kind of camaraderie up here, it means something and it makes a difference. I I love the idea. Let's see how it works. Um, But, guys, that is our show for tonight. I want to thank everybody for taking your time over the course of this year and this week to spend with us. We have some stuff coming up. We will be doing our normal show next week. Dave and I confirmed that during the pre-show. You will be getting the Real Forno show Monday the 26th at 6 p.m. Central Time. This week, Dave, what do we have in store for the people? We've got a busy week lined up. I got contacted by Flip this morning saying he wants to do an emergency episode of 15 minutes with Flip Mozzie. For those that don't know, that was Flip's original show when he joined Climb in the Pocket. It was a great show. A lot of people listened. It's a quick hitter. As the title dictates, he likes to stay around 15 minutes and it should be good. Wednesday, we have Vikings Happy Hour. Thursday, we have Vikings Hot Takes. Friday, we're moved two old bloggers ahead to give you your pregame show of the Vikings versus the Giants. And then Saturday, in a two-minute warning, we go live with the final score. And I want to thank everybody that watched the final score from last week. The great comeback game. That was one of our most highly viewed episodes. We appreciate it greatly. You guys rock. And uh, it's going to be a fun week. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good time. And thank you all for joining. Make sure you follow along at at Vikings Wire. Mm -hmm. Make sure you catch everything that I have going on there. Uh, Judd just released a fun column talking about how he left during the game to go back and, and record Ventline because the Vikings are down by so much. It's a very interesting perspective that I think we can all relate to. Um, I'm going to have a lot of really fun stuff coming up. I went off about how some of the national media is a little lazy with their analysis and how, oh, the Vikings are uh, have a plus two point differential, so they're frauds. 
Like, no, you're not even trying to contextualize why their point differential is low. You're not even trying to understand why they're winning all their close games. And it's, I'm very annoyed with national media, but make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out all the other great shows in the network. If you're a Christian, Merry Christmas. If you're, if you're a Jew, happy Hanukkah. If you celebrate anything else, happy, whatever you celebrate. And if you don't (laughs) celebrate anything, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Uh Thank you very much, everybody. And Skull Vikings. And don't forget, we are the 2022 NFC North champions. Damn right we are. Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.